hey, we're in a series calling it Do For One, what we wish we could do for everyone. And I'm still here at family service. Uh, we're in one of their warehouses. We thought we'd just go ahead and go to church here. So what's behind the series is this, is I continue to think about the opportunities that God is providing us, right? We've lost a lot. Freedom's been diminished. But here's what I know. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So I am convinced that Jesus is still building his church, meaning he's building you and he's building me. And we are looking for opportunities. So we put this series here, Do For One, What We Wish We Could Do For Everyone. And I want to talk today about this idea, challenge someone, give someone a challenge, help someone grow. And the, the, kind of the, the big meta thought behind this is there's so many challenges in the world. Sometimes we become overwhelmed, we're paralyzed, feel like we can't make a difference. But here's what we see in Jesus, and then here's what he asked the church to do, the followers of Jesus, is to jump in and do for one person what we wish we could do for everyone, which leads to the world changing. So whether you're new in your faith, whether you're just curious, um, I'm really happy that we get to visit this portion of Scripture together. We're going to read from Matthew chapter 19. Matthew 19, and where Jesus challenges someone. And here's what we're going to look at. This guy comes up to Jesus. He obviously has been hearing Jesus and he's impressed. And I wish we knew more about this specific man, but he seems to be very earnest and he seems to be very religious. And what Jesus is going to do is challenge him. And it's going to take, by the end of the passage, you're going to see it's going to take this man and it's going to turn his world upside down. He's going to go from a place of assurance to a place where he is questioning everything, okay? Let's read this passage together. Matthew chapter 19, we'll begin at verse 16. Just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Notice that question. What good thing must I do to get eternal life? And Jesus asks the question back. Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter the eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony on your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. Listen to his answer. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? What, what, a, what a great question. Introspective. Um, he's assessing what he's done so far, but he has a sense that something is still missing. Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, so this word perfect is um, often translated to have eternal life, all right? So it's complete. If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, so the disciples have been observing this conversation Truly, I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are impossible. So give someone a challenge. Let's look at what Jesus does and see what we can learn. What challenge will he present to us? What can we learn from him in terms of challenging other people? Number one would be this. Let's learn to ask better questions. Ask better questions. I think far too often in my life and what I hear around me is rather than ask better questions, we tend to argue, right? And when we argue, it's a form of confrontation and we're, we're hoping to win. I love that you will see this over and over in the life of Jesus, that people ask him questions and they're hoping for a religious argument. And what Jesus does is he asks a question in return. Why? Because they are asking the wrong questions. So one of the things I want to be aware of is that many of my questions are not the right questions. They're surface level. And what Jesus wants to do is ask a deeper, more penetrating question. Questions that have to do with my values. Not necessarily questions that have to do with religious intricacies. Confrontation isn't wrong, okay? But here's the goal of healthy confrontation. The goal of healthy confrontation is not to win, but it's to grow. So it's to grow. Whether I am being the one who's confronted or I am doing the confrontation, I'm giving someone a challenge. The hope is this, not to win, not to confuse the person I'm talking with, but to help that person grow and mature. So we look for the deeper issue. So what's happening with this man? He's got the wrong equation. He has the wrong equation. So he, what was his original question? What good thing must I do to get eternal life? Okay, so if you looked at it, you think, hey, that's a great question. This is like, these are the big questions that human beings are asking. Like, what do I do to prepare for the afterlife? What's necessary? How do I live my life now? But here's what's wrong with his question and with his equation. He's under this assumption. And it is the assumption of almost all religious people. If you're not sure what you believe right now, you're spiritually unresolved, please, please hear this. Okay, because religions have taught you this equation. It's my performance, my merit, the things I do, equals eternal life. Okay, so if I can get my life in order, if I can do all the right things, then eventually I'll have this peace with God somewhere in the future. It's the wrong equation. So he asks this question, what good thing must I do? I do. Do you notice this? He's at the center of the question. He is assuming that eternal life is dependent upon him. And that's what so many of us do. Religious people kind of drift into this. Non-religious people assume that religion is about what do I do to achieve God? How do I modify my behavior? How do I start doing certain things and quit doing other things so that I can be with God? And that's the wrong question. Jesus is going to go on to teach us a little bit later that eternal life 
has nothing to do with my behavior and my decisions. There's something much more important than that. It's not my line of accomplishments, okay? Here's the second point. Jesus wants to treat the disease, not the symptoms, okay? Jesus wants to treat the disease, not the symptoms. Now, this is something I think we face in many, many areas of our world. Um, Oftentimes, we'll look at things like addiction. Um, We'll look at behavior that is uh, twisted wrong. And what we tend to do is we want to treat the symptoms, okay? The symptoms, it's the addiction. The symptom is the wrong behavior. Here's what Jesus is trying to do. He's always trying to get deeper inside to address the actual disease. So imagine if you were sick, okay? And my sickness, I have these symptoms, and all I did was treat the symptoms. I might feel better, but I've never addressed the actual disease. So good medicine says, how can we actually fix the disease? Because you could treat symptoms forever. And in the same way, what's wrong spiritually with human beings and with this man in particular is what? It's the disease he has. It's not simply his symptoms. So here's here's what the man answers. Jesus says, "I, I, I want you to do, and he lays out six commandments, all right? Now, interesting, the Ten Commandments are laid out in two portions. The first six commandments have to do with human to human relationships, okay? Those are the ones that Jesus lays out. Jesus does not bring up the four commandments that have to do with our relationship with God. Okay, so Jesus knows that the disease is this, is that this man outwardly have, has lived a very like, righteous life. Like, I, could any of us say, hey, all these I have done? No, this guy's he's exemplary. It's impressive. But what Jesus does is he, he leaves out the whole section of commandments that have to do with who God is and how we're, relate, how we're to relate to him. So what's the deeper problem? What's the disease in this man's life? How can we look for the disease rather than treating symptoms? Jesus says this. He says, here's your real issue. It's your attachment to possessions. That you, your God, okay, lowercase God, G, is, is actually all these things that you hold on to, and you're looking to those things for your hope and for your peace. And the real problem in your life isn't your behavior with society. That, that's legitimate. That's positive. Says, but the problem in your life, what's really lacking is this deep connection to who God is, is that you are looking to something other than God for your hope and for your sense of comfort and peace. This big issue is what keeps him from following Jesus. Because did you notice this? Jesus said, I want you to go sell all your possessions and give to the poor and then follow me. So the issue wasn't him being wealthy. Like people can be wealthy. That, that's fine. The Bible never condemns that. The problem is, is if I am wealthy and my wealth becomes my God, meaning my wealth is what I look to for my peace and my comfort and my hope. And Jesus says this, you are unable to follow me. You're incapacitated. And the reason you're unable to follow me is because you're too connected to these things. 
You can't walk away from them. You can't just trust me. You can't trust God. Your, your, your dependency is on material possessions. So, so the key here is this, is Jesus is focusing on following, right? He's not just saying sell everything. So that's not the word to everybody who's listening. Is like, hey, if you got a lot, sell it all and give it to the poor. The key is this, can I follow Jesus? What is inhibiting me from following Jesus? Because if something is keeping me from following Jesus, chances are I'm in the same place that this man is. It's become a God, an attachment. And so when we ask people hard questions, when Jesus asks me hard questions, he's trying to say, how can you be loosened up from your attachments so that you can follow? The hope for everyone, my hope for you, my hope for me is that I am able to follow Jesus. Now, I want to take us to the third thought, the final thought. And it's this idea of a camel and a needle. So we're going to call it this, stuffing camels through needles. Now, lots of different people have looked at this passage and made different assumptions and said there was a gate, but there's actually no historical proof that there was a gate called the needle gate and it was really small. I think Jesus is literally trying to paint a picture. Okay, the camel was the largest animal in Israel. Okay? And one of the smallest things that you can imagine is a needle. Now, the other day I was trying to sew something and it's just not as easy as it used to be to get the thread through the eye of the needle. Okay? I was trying to put a button back on. And Jesus is saying exactly that. Okay, so here, here's why the disciples are flabbergasted. So the, the man walks away sad right? He just walks away. He's brokenhearted. He knows, no, I can't follow Jesus because I'm so attached to my things. The disciples say, what? Are you kidding me? Because Jesus just said, it's harder for a rich man uh, to enter the kingdom than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Because here's their assumption. In the first century in Jewish culture, your assumption was this, that if you were wealthy, it was because you would please God and that God had given you the wealth. And if you weren't a righteous person, God would not bless you. Okay, so we don't necessarily hold that. We know there are a lot of people who are wealthy and they're wealthy because they're powerful or because they're good business people. But in the first century, wealth was always associated simply with God's blessing. And so the disciples say, if he can't get in, if, if his wealth is inhibiting him from entering this life with Jesus and following you, what hope is there for us? Here's the whole idea. Summed up when Jesus says this. With man, it's not possible. With God, all things are possible. So for this man who asked Jesus the original question, Jesus is saying, hey, he walked away sad because it's just not humanly possible for him to give up his love for things. But there's this beautiful line of hope that he wants his disciples to hear. With God... All things are possible. Here's a statement. God pushes camels through the eye of a needle. And no human being can do that. How do we translate that into our world? Here's what I'd say. It is impossible for me to enter the kingdom of God, to be a follower of Jesus, simply based on 
upon my own efforts and my own merit. I am too attached to things. There's too much brokenness in my life. But God does a miracle. He takes people who can never do it themselves. Because what was the man's first question? What must I do? So the whole point of the dialogue is this. You can't do anything. I can't do anything. I can't achieve anything to earn God. It is a miracle that God allows any of us to follow him. So God squeezes camels through eyes of needles. God pushes me away from, he does the miracles in my life so that I can follow him. So I want to end with just a few questions, okay? Number one, I want to ask this. Do I have the correct equation? Okay, do I have the correct equation? In my life with God, is it about what I do? Am I asking the same question that this rich young ruler asked? What can I do? What's next for me? What's next for me to achieve? What do I need to sacrifice? It's just the wrong question. And I know that's hard for some of us because um, we, we want to do things. We want to achieve. We be, want to become better. None of that's bad. But my behavior does not qualify me for following Jesus. It's not the equation. Here's my merit. Here's all the things I've done. Now I get to heaven. Now I get eternal life. If that's your understanding of religion, just hear me very humbly. I'd say, I'd say this to you. It's flawed. That's religion. That's not miraculous salvation. Do you have the right equation? Here's the second question. This was a hard one for me. I, I asked me, myself this all week. What would make me sad? What would make me sad? What could or would Jesus say to me that would cause me to experience a crisis. So I'm envisioning the story we just read, and Jesus says, here, for you to follow, you're going to have to give up your wealth, sell it so that you can follow me, and he walks away sad. I want to ask myself this question. If you're a follower of Jesus, please ask this question. It's terribly uncomfortable. If it were me in this story, what might Jesus say to me? It would cause a crisis in my life where I think, oh, not that, not that. Maybe religiously from the outside, yeah, I've got it all together. The first six commandments, I'm nailing them. But Jesus wants to ask the deeper, better question. What would cause me sorrow? What is it that I'm attached to that is inhibiting me from following Jesus? Then here's the third thing. Am I letting Jesus squeeze me through the eye of a needle? Okay. Am, am I trying to make my own way into this eternal life? Or am I saying this? Hey, I understand that I can never get everything right. That in order for me to have a relationship with God, a miracle is going to happen. What took place on the cross through the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus is the thing that squeezes people through the eye of a needle. And so for all of you watching, whether you're in Montana, outside, somewhere far away, here's what I love. I love that God is squeezing us through the eye of a needle. It is his work. Because with human beings, this is impossible. 
But with God, all things are possible. Will you pray with me? Lord, we give you permission to disturb us. We really do. Religion has said this for centuries. It's developed this equation that we do certain things and then the end result, if we do everything right, is life with you. You blow that equation out of the water. Lord, we want your equation, which means this. It's what Jesus did on the cross that miraculously makes it possible for us to enter into your world, into relationship with you. So I, I just want to pray for anybody, whether you're watching on your phone, you're on your computer and a living with some people. Give up the old equation. It is not about what you do. You can't do anything. And Jesus, would you squeeze us through the eye of the needle? What question would you ask us that would cause a crisis? We want to be so surrendered to you. And it may take some time, but we want to treat the disease and not the symptoms. We want to follow you. In your name, amen.